We uh, greet each of you in Jesus' name this morning. I'd like to uh, continue on with the Beatitudes here in uh, Matthew chapter 5. You're welcome to turn there. And uh, we'll be looking at uh, verse 6 today. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Also, uh, this would be a preparatory message here for communion as we take a look at this, take a look at our own lives, and uh, evaluate where we are personally in hungering and thirsting. And it was just a real blessing to study for this sermon. Studying the Beatitudes, you realize your own brokenness and uh, come face to face with what God is asking of us as Christians, as followers of him. A bit of a review on the Beatitudes that we looked at, uh, a word from Thomas Watson, if we do not imitate his life, we cannot be saved by his death. We tend to bring along what we have done and accomplished in life and bring it with us, and yet let's lay all that aside and take a look at our lives and the evidence of the Beatitudes. In the Beatitudes, Jesus is inviting us to measure ourselves, to discern our spiritual condition. And I believe we do well to pay attention if there's a disconnect between what Jesus is teaching here in Matthew chapter 5 and where we are at personally in our lives. We first of all looked at, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We are in debt to our Lord. We are actually bankrupt. We have no way to live up to who he is and what he is asking us to do. When we're poor in spirit, we give up the idea that God owes us. We are not afraid to ask, and we're also in a position to receive. Because beggars have open hands, right? And we are asking of God. Everything we have comes from him. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. We mourn as we think of our sin and compare it to a holy God, and we have godly sorrow. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. When we're meek, we put our strength under God's. We submit ourselves to the hand of God. It's strength under control, a wild horse that's tamed. So as we look at the first three Beatitudes, we would come to the conclusion that we are not able to live our own lives without the help of God. And I believe that's accurate. We need God. We need his direction. We need wisdom. So these Beatitudes build on one another. And the first three is they focus on the roots in dealing with who we are as a sinful person. The fourth beatitude comes out of a heart that desires something godly. A heart that is awakened through the work of the Holy Spirit and a heart that follows after God and wants something. A life of hungering and thirsting after righteousness bears fruit. And we could name a lot of fruit that a a life like that bears. A few things would be mercy, mercy. 
being pure in heart, peace. There's a lot of things that come out of a heart and a life that hungers and thirsts after righteousness. And I believe hungering and thirsting after righteousness is the heart of a true Christian, the sign of a true Christian. We can read in Psalms, there's so many verses. Uh, one of the verses that comes to mind is Psalms 42. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul search, thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Talks about the soul thirsting for God. Psalm 63, verse 1. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. And then as Brother Alvin read here in Philippians 3, we think that Paul would know Christ and be filled with Christ, be led by Christ, be serving Christ. And yet Paul, there's so many verses we could look at here. He's wanting more and he has not arrived yet. And I, I, I translate that as Paul hungering and thirsting after God and wanting more from God. There's a passion to know more of God and his righteousness. And this is the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As people, as humans, as uh, living in the flesh, I, we have this uh, word picture, and it's actually pretty real for us, of hungering and thirsting. When you're really hungry, what, what length will you go to to get food? It gets pretty intense, doesn't it? It's an intense desire that overcomes us. A, a rule of thumb, this is actually pretty a rough rule of thumb, but a rule of thumb is that a person can't live for more than three minutes without oxygen, for more than three days without water, and for more than three weeks without food. Now we know people have gone without food for longer than three weeks. But there is a point where we can no longer live. It's an intense desire. We have a will to live. And it overwhelms us when we cannot get what we need. When we feel hungry, it's a sign of need. Either we skipped our last meal or we're fasting or, or we can smell what's coming for supper, and we can't wait to get there. Hunger indicates an absence of food. This is how the body communicates its need. And when we become hungry and become intensely hungry, it becomes painful, it becomes overwhelming. It's all we can think about. When we go for several days without food, our body actually begins to consume itself. You're constantly hungry. And food, the thought of food begins to dominate every part of you. Your thoughts, your reflexes, and you, your body begins to shut down. You go into survival mode and will do things that you wouldn't do otherwise if you would have access to food. And it's a starvation is a very slow process. If you go back and read stories of war, um, and famine, where people were starving, 
People went to the length of digging up graves uh, just to survive. Very desperate. And I think we all remember times of being intensely thirsty. When we didn't have water, we didn't have access to water. I remember when I was younger, we would uh, put hay up in the hay mow, and we had the elevator. Uh, thankfully, I didn't often get the job of being up in the barn, in the hay mow where it was really hot and sticky, but uh, even being down the wagon for, you know, you work out in the heat and sun for hours, you're sweating, you're hot, and eventually you go find that igloo water bottle, and you drink and drink and drink, and it seems like you just can't drink enough. have a memory uh, from my days of being at camp as a chief. We were on the uh, Altamaha River in Georgia. We were low on water. It was pretty remote. On one side of the river, there were miles of swamp, and on the other side, there was a road a few miles away, and there were just no houses. There was nowhere to stop, and so we're floating down the river. We knew we had a few pounds of water left, and that was the day that that canoe flipped. And we got river water in our, in our drinking water jug, and so it was ruined and it was gone. It was early in the day, but we were under the hot Georgia sun, 90-some degrees, and right out in the sunlight in the river, floating down the river. I just remember we were so thirsty, and eventually we started to get headaches. And we eventually, it was getting a little hard to think straight and be very rational anymore. We quit trying to circle up and solve problems at that point, and we kept on floating down the river. And then we saw a boat off in the distance. It turned out to be a fishing game commission boat. They were uh, looking for some, uh, some fish, a certain kind of fish, and we told them our plight, and they went back and got water bottles, probably about 20 water bottles, uh, just the small ones. And when you're really thirsty, they don't go very far. And he said, good luck, but we don't know where you're going to get water from here on out. And uh, we prayed and rode and prayed and rode, and eventually we saw a campground that had water. You don't think about it until you're missing it, and then it's overwhelming. Hunger, is a side of, hunger and thirst is a sign of need, and it's a sign of life. It's a sign of health. When your doctor... When you tell your doctor you're getting your appetite back, your doctor says, good. You're getting in better shape. And to hunger and thirst after righteousness is a sign of spiritual life. And so as Christians, I believe we should, we should feel hungry. We should feel thirsty. The flesh never hungers after righteousness, but our spirit hungers after righteousness. Hungers after God. And so to have a deep longing to grow in our spiritual life is a sign that we are in good spiritual health. The absence of this hunger is a danger sign for us. So as we look at at this verse, the ones that are blessed are the ones that are not satisfied. They want more. They hunger and thirst. And if you feel that you've arrived as a Christian, that's probably a dangerous spot. We, we always desire more. There's more we can learn. There's more that we can grow in. We see in uh, the New Testament, there's an example of a group of people who 
did not hunger and thirst after righteousness. They felt very righteous. And that group was the Pharisees. And Jesus just had so many harsh words for the Pharisees. You can read the chapters. I don't think they were hungering and thirsting. They felt like they had arrived. <clears throat> so this blessing that Jesus talks about does not belong to the people that are content as they are. The blessing is on those who have a strong desire to obtain righteousness. It's a relentless pursuit and a holy passion. It becomes the consuming passion of our life. And there's only one way to be satisfied, and that is to hunger and thirst after righteousness because we're going to be filled, but then we're not filled. We want to be blessed. If we are blessed, we are blessed. If we hunger and thirst after righteousness, Jesus did not say, blessed are the righteous, for they shall be satisfied, but the desire for righteousness is blessed. And the true Christian longs to be more righteousness, more righteous than he is. So how is this fleshed out? How do we really get to the place where we hunger and thirst after righteousness? And as we look at the definition of righteousness, I'll read it here. It's acting in accord with divine or moral law, free from guilt or sin. And we long to be free, don't we? We long to be holy, to be righteous, to have our motives under God's direction. So I believe, first of all, we need to be honest about the condition of the world that we live in. It can be hard to feel very righteous when you live here. And one reason is because there's all these laws that regulate what we do. There's laws about building buildings. There's laws about driving on the road. There's laws about taxes. There's all these laws. And we need to admit that people just can't be trusted, can they? We need to be restrained somehow, and that's where regulation comes from. And then people find ways around the rules, around the laws, and so more rules need to be put in place to keep sin in check. And so sin should not surprise us as Christians. And so what hope is there for really being righteous here in this world that we live in? And I believe it's up to us as Christians to choose to desire righteousness, to hunger and thirst after it. Ask God to make you the kind of person that does not need all the rules and the regulations to do what is right. And I believe this is why Jesus calls Christians the salt of the earth and wants us to be different, to stand out. So how do I cultivate a hunger and thirst after righteousness? What if we we just are not hungering and thirsting after righteousness and we're not sure what to do about it? How do we cultivate that hunger? I believe we all have a hunger, and we feed it somehow. But what about that appetite for more? I think sometimes the the easiest way to understand this is is when we talk about food, because I think unless we're fasting, we're all going to eat today. Maybe you're thinking about uh, what's for lunch, and the ladies have been thinking about what's for lunch since last evening or before, 
And us men, we're looking forward to it, right? Because we're, we're uh, excited about lunch. But we think about these things and we hope it's going to be what we want to eat. Now, how about if you grew up in China? Do you think you'd want something different for lunch than what's in the crock pot? And how did they end up enjoying different foods than we did? Or you can pick any country in the world. Some people have, we think, might have some strange tastes. And we don't understand how they can like what they like when it comes to food. But they grew up with it. They developed an appetite for it. And so our appetite also can be cultivated. A change in our diet will eventually lead to a change in our appetite. Before I was married, I didn't like onions. Um, And I thought seafood was a waste of time. And then Joanna got me convinced that onions are okay because that's what she fed me. Um, She fed me more onions than I grew up on. And uh, we went to some seafood restaurants and uh, had some neighbors in in Maryland who blessed us with seafood. And I like it now. That appetite was cultivated. And so it's a treat now when, when we eat seafood. So you'll want more of what you feed yourself. Feed yourself the word of God and you'll want more. So what appetite is shaping your life? And what holds me back from everything God is calling me to be and having that appetite for more of him? Has my appetite been diminished by other things? Good things, maybe. If so, we need to cultivate an appetite that's stronger than what we have for the things that are not of God or that God wants us to lay down. There's two ways to cultivate righteousness, two practical ways. One is to uh, fast from legitimate pleasures. We have a lot of pleasures, don't we? And they're pretty legitimate. Not even sinful, just, just legitimate things that we enjoy doing. And uh, we indulge in, and it's okay. There is plenty to do. In Mark 8, verse 34, it says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And what, what would it look like for us to deny ourselves? So let's say it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and, and there's this wonderful snack, and supper's in an hour and a half, and uh, you indulge in the snack. How hungry will you be when it's supper time? So I believe it's the same way in our lives. Legitimate pleasures at the wrong time and in the wrong amount will spoil our appetite for holiness. And the second thing is to make ourselves vulnerable to the needs of others. 1 Timothy 4, 7, But refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. And so how do we exercise ourselves? How do we make ourselves open to others' needs? And I believe serving as Christians will stimulate our spiritual appetite. When we serve others, we extend ourselves. We put ourselves out there. We serve. We meet other people's needs. And in meeting other people's needs, it brings our need for Christ to the surface and We desire more of God. 
And if you don't believe this to be true, just go into full-time mission work, working with people, and you'll see your need for Christ so plainly. When we see ourselves as needing to be served, it will dull our spiritual perception. And so I'd encourage you to fast from your legitimate pleasure and invest in others, and you will be stimulated in hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I believe there's a reason that Jesus has called us as Christians to serve others because he wants us coming to him and hungering and thirsting after more righteousness. I've never noticed this before, but when you look at a few verses in the New Testament, it talks about righteousness. Uh, 1 Peter 2.24, who bear his own who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. He talks about living unto righteousness. And in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so is this longing for righteousness increasing in us? Is it more than it was a year ago? Are you desiring God in a way that you are just not, no longer satisfied and you want more? So how am I doing? Am I filling myself on junk food the world has to offer? Am I chasing things that are counterfeit that will never bring any satisfaction? I think the older I get, the less I can handle these cheap Chinese buffets. I don't know if you like them or not, but uh, they're pretty tasty, aren't they? And so it's lunchtime, and you see one of them, and you think, well, it's going to be fast food for cheap, and they're tasty, and so you stop in. And how do you feel afterwards? Maybe you feel okay, but I, you feel sick on your stomach after eating there. So I'm trying to wean myself off of them by thinking about the after effects, not the eating part. And so I believe we can be attracted to fleshly things, but eventually our soul will be destroyed because it will never be filled. And we slowly starve to death spiritually. So the experience of a new heart, a heart after Christ, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, hunger, hungering and thirsting exists right along with satisfaction. And the more we get of Christ, the more we're filled, the more we hunger and thirst. And that cycle goes on and on until faith is turned to sight. A.W. Tozer, in the book Pursuit of God, he says, To have found God and to still pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. And our marriages are a representation of that, aren't they? Matthew 6.33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So we think that when we've found God, when we've arrived, when we are filled, we will never hunger and thirst, but we will. And it's only when we see him, we will be like him. And until then, we're going to continue to hunger and thirst. And the holiness that has been begun in our lives here on earth will be brought to completion in heaven.
where there's no more sin. And heaven will be the home of righteousness. And all those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be there. David talked about longing after God. Paul said, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings. Those who thirst come to the one who is the living water. Isaiah 49.10 They shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat nor sun smite them. For he that hath mercy on them shall lead them, even by the springs of water shall he guide them. Revelation chapter 7, there's a few verses. Neither are they before the throne of God, therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat, for the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. When I look at verse 16, I think of water and food. And maybe that's accurate. But what about spiritually? Our hungering and thirsting for God is finally going to be fulfilled, and we will no longer hunger and thirst anymore. So, in conclusion, I believe a question for us, each of us personally, as we prepare for communion Are you feeling a need of righteousness? And where is your hunger? Where is my hunger and thirst level? Am I pursuing God to the point that I hunger and thirst after righteousness so much that I feel myself more and more and increase my longing for God? Let's kneel for prayer.